Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. So let's read God's word out loud together. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him. Give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Now before we go into detail about this parable, let's, I, I believe you need to understand the context of this parable. The first thing I want you to understand is that Jesus has entered into our realm. He has entered into this world and He has done so not for the well, but for the sick. He's not come for the sinless, but He's come for the sinner. And His desire is to be your Savior. He wants you to experience forgiveness. He wants you to experience an intimacy with God. But He didn't just come to forgive you. He came actually to prepare a place for which your redeemed life can now flourish. You see, the the problem many of us have, we don't realize, we are redeemed people in an unredeemed world. You are resurrected people in an unresurrected world. You are, are, in Jesus' way of thinking, you are not made for here. You are made for another realm. And the realm that He has brought is not the realm of this earth. He has brought what is true of heaven and invaded earth with it. He has planted heaven here like a seed. He has planted heaven in you, if you're a true believer, like a seed. An imperishable seed. But a seed nonetheless. 
As a matter of fact, it is so true that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of power that you cannot enter into this kingdom unless you start over. Unless you are born again. Unless you are born of the Spirit of His kingdom. That's why it's never enough just to have correct doctrine. Or to have correct theology. People can have correct theology and still not be in the kingdom. You can have really disciplined morality and still not be in the kingdom. See, the problem with many people is they do believe it's a kingdom of word, not of power. But the Bible says it's a kingdom of power. You see, unless you have encountered the power from the other realm, then you're not in the kingdom. Jesus came establishing that His kingdom is not of this world. And when He puts that seed in you, it is an, it is an imperishable seed that is activated by your faith. It is not activated by anything else but your faith. There are people who say to me, well, if I see it, I will believe it. The things of the kingdom are not so, friends. They are, you believe it, then you see it. There are so many things that we do not experience of the power of God now because we will not believe unless we see it. There are many people that I know that I've grown up with who are serious Christians. They believe that it happened in the first century, but they don't believe it can happen to them. I'm teaching a class at ATS. I get to team teach with my great friend Ron Walborn, and we're teaching divine healing. We have over 50 students from all kinds of backgrounds who want to understand better how do you experience healing, the healing power of Jesus in our day and time. And so the first class we had last week, and, and Ron always teaches a, a healing ministry model, how we interview people, how we pray for people. And so uh, we, uh, we uh, invited the students to come so we could no, so that we could pray for them, not practice on them. Uh, <laughs> No one was hurt. Uh, <laughs> so we asked the students to come, but we asked a very specific thing. It had to be something tangible. It couldn't be like, you know, my heart hurts or I, I feel, you know, sad or whatever. It had to be something like, a, like a, uh, a measurable pain. And so someone came forward who had, was a pedestrian that was hit by a car on the road and had been in back pain. And the pain, it was five that night and had been up much higher than that and and so uh, we asked this person if if we could pray and here's the thing about the power of the kingdom when you begin to operate in belief is you will know things that you cannot know apart from the kingdom You'll have knowledge. You'll have wisdom. You'll know how to pray. Sometimes a pain is not a pain, friends. Sometimes it's something more. But only the King knows. And His Spirit reveals. And so as you believe and you step in and you risk, then you begin to see things. And so we, what we saw, what we heard, we prayed. She went from a five to a three. You see, the kingdom was beginning to work, but still it wasn't zero. So we went back again and interviewed some more and prayed some more. And, and the Spirit of the Lord gave us exactly what was needed. And she goes, it's a zero. I have no pain whatsoever. Look, her pain had been real. You get hit by a car, it's real pain. And it was zero once Jesus was finished. 
You see, what we don't understand, we have given in and believed that sickness is the natural order. We have given in and believed that death is the natural order. We have, because it's so normal to us and because we're so acquainted with sickness and death and disability and all manner of things, we believe it's the natural order. You understand, when Jesus brought the kingdom of heaven, He was restoring the natural order. Sickness could not exist in His presence. Death could not exist. Death was an uninvited intruder in Jesus' presence. Jesus and His kingdom restore what God intended. This world is cursed. And Jesus in His kingdom and His power were reversing the effects of the curse. He met Satan face to face and He defeated him. He overcame every temptation that Satan could throw at him. And Satan went away tucking his tail. All the demon eyes were set free. You ever read the stories? Somehow there'd be thousands of people, but the demon eyes could get to the front. And they came forward and every one of them was set free. Even when the disciples couldn't set the boy free from the demon, Jesus just spoke the word and the demon was gone. That's the kingdom, not the kingdom of the first century. That's Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Even death could not stay in His presence. I've seen three resurrections from the dead. Maybe a few more. It's harder for me to document the others. But I've seen three. And when it has happened, it has been an amazing, amazing thing. But my favorite one of all time was in Africa. We were in Uganda. My mother was carrying around a dead baby for six hours. She came to our meetings. We had open-air meetings. She came to our open-air meetings and the glory of God came upon the child and the child breathed. God raised that baby from the dead. And then it looked like the baby was going to maybe go back into comatose state or whatever it might be. And we were up, up, up on the stage praying over this baby and the African evangelist that we were working with starts throwing the baby in the air. Never do this in the U.S. just for liability. <laughs> Starts throwing the baby up in the air. And every time the baby went up in the air, the lungs filled with breath and the child started laughing and the child started moving around and walking and the child was completely healed in our presence. You understand, the kingdom does not fear death because Jesus has defeated death. The kingdom is a power, not merely, friends, not merely a word, a concept, a theology, a doctrine, or a morality, or, or a perspective. It is not one of many perspectives on life. It is the only life that there is. Because it's the only thing that can defeat death. And so Jesus is establishing for us, not only that we are forgiven, not only that we have been brought into relationship with God, but He's also establishing a whole new society where it's not about politics. He's establishing a whole community where it's not about ethnicity or race or tribe. He's establishing a family in which the, the foundation of that family is our oneness in Christ and our love for each other because of Him. This is the kingdom of God transcends everything that you and I are about on this earth. And it's bigger than anything we could even imagine. And as he 
begins to share this parable with his disciples, it's because he has set his face toward Jerusalem and he, he has you in mind and it's your heart and it's your life and it's your future he has in mind for he has set his face to the cross. He is going to go to that cross. He is enduring the shame of that cross. He is enduring the pain of that cross because the hope that he has on that cross is your face. The only thing Jesus didn't have before the cross that he had after the cross was you. It was for you. It was the joy set before him was you. Your life, your future. Now all along the way to Jerusalem, he's been training his disciples. He's been preparing them for their mission, for their assignment. He is preparing them for his absence. And as he, he turns towards his entry in Jerusalem, he tells them this parable. This parable is an essential understanding if you're going to follow Jesus faithfully. If you're going to understand what's happening in your life as a true disciple of Christ Jesus, then you're going to have to understand this parable. Because what happens is, every disciple has false expectations of what Jesus is going to do in their life. Every disciple has these these, these things that they believe that they want that get utterly shattered because it doesn't happen the way you think it will or in the timing that you think it will. God often veils His disciples for such a long period and you say, Lord, how long will I be obscure? How long will I be hidden? When will what is in me manifest? And the preparation time can seem like it takes forever before finally you go, oh, that's what that was for. And these disciples were no different from us. You see, they had every expectation of an instantaneous kingdom. They were certain when he entered in triumphantly into Jerusalem, now the Romans are going to get their, their, their due. They're going to get kicked back to, the, to, to Rome. They're never going to bother us again. And we're going to be the rulers. They are certain of that. So guess what happens? They don't listen to this parable. They don't listen because they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear that He's going to gain His power by losing it. They don't want to hear that He's going to give life by losing His life. Please, please, don't you miss this. Many of us, we protect things. We grasp things. We try to hold on to positions and wealth and and power. And we we try to protect ourselves. Do you know what? In this kingdom, you advance by losing. You advance by giving up. The way Jesus gained the whole world was that He lost His life. You yourself will not gain what you long to gain unless you're willing to surrender first. You see, there is no way to be a disciple of Jesus and not walk where Jesus walked. Well, these disciples, these disciples had a lot that they needed to learn. As a matter of fact, Jesus had so much to teach them, but this parable plainly says they did not have the capacity to receive it. Here's, a, here's how one way we know this. Luke has to tell us what the parable means, which means the disciples didn't get it. He has to explain it because he doesn't expect that you're going to get it unless he explains it. Have you ever noticed something? You only see what you want to see. 
You only hear what you want to hear. I mean, when your wife says to you, you have selective hearing, it is true. It is true. I mean, many of us, particularly, my, I can tune out everything and watch a football game, not hear the kids, not hear my wife, not hear the phone, because all I want to see is who scored. Others of us, we see what we want to see. <laughs> when we were a young couple, Lisa has always loved decorating the house. And, uh, and so I worked, I taught school in the morning, went to school in the afternoon, waited tables at night. And I came in at 10 o'clock or so, and, and I just want to eat something and then go to bed or watch TV or something. She goes, you didn't see it? I'm like, what? She goes, I wallpapered two rooms today. So now when I walk in the house, I look really carefully. <laughs> Is anything different? Try to observe if her hair got cut or if she's wearing new clothes. What's going on? Because I don't want to miss it. Because in my natural ability, I don't have a capacity for that. I only have a capacity for selfish things. For what matters to me. Do you understand what this parable is saying? God is speaking to you all the time, but do you have the capacity for it? God is speaking. God is teaching. Jesus, through His Spirit, the Spirit of truth is teaching you in every circumstance of your life. Not a single one is an accident. And you know what the language of heaven and the language of the kingdom is? Surely goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life. You see, the language of hell is complaint grumbling. How can you let this happen to me? The language of hell is that the servant demands the master. But the language of heaven is gratitude and thanksgiving. If God be for me, who can be against me? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, the kingdom is such a power that is encountered that inexplicable things change in you. Capacities begin to grow in you that you do not have naturally. You begin to see what you couldn't see. You begin to hear what you couldn't hear. And your faith activates that imperishable seed. Instead of staying a seed, it becomes a tree. But you won't see it till you believe it. See, these disciples are like us. They wanted a microwave kingdom. And Jesus planted a garden. They wanted an instantaneous. They thought, this is it. We sacrificed for two years, now we're going to be kings. But Jesus' call is the same today as it was to them. And it's a call of lifelong commitment. No matter how long it takes, no matter how short it is or long it is, it is a lifelong commitment to humble service for the Master. And if that's not the call on your life, then you're not in the kingdom. I cannot tell you how many, how many people have, have asked me or said, can we have a job here? Can we work here? Or do these things who did not have a lifelong call to humble service to the Master. I remember one guy wrote me his resume. I'm the greatest preacher in the Northeast. No one disciples better than me. I have mentored men. I am a leader of men. I am an example. I wrote him back and said, by your resume, you don't need to intern anywhere. You don't need to work for anybody. You're the greatest. But the truth is, I was sitting there going, you would never work for me with a resume like that. Because this is totally counterfeit. This is not a commitment to lifelong humble service to the Master. This is self-promoting. 
I've had people come and say, I have a big call from God. Can I work here at Risen King? I said, yeah, clean the bathroom. If you can do that with anointing, we'll see. Oh, but I'm called to preach. Set up the chairs. Or maybe to vacuum the sanctuary. And they're like, oh no, that's I, I have a much bigger call. And I said, then find it somewhere else. You have to understand it never changes. These are the 12 apostles. Their call was a lifelong commitment to humble service to the Master. Before he entered Jerusalem, before he went through his passion, he said to them, this is the call on your life. Now, one of the issues that we, I find with people is they don't understand the two dates that make the most difference for your life. What happens to many of us is we don't realize that there are two set dates upon which everything in history and in the future depend upon. And those two dates are not your birthday and it's not your death. As a matter of fact, those are just blips and just little thin vapors in the course of the bigger picture of the kingdom of God. It's not, it's not that it isn't awesome that you were born. We're glad you were born. But please, don't celebrate your birth all month. I've heard people saying they're calling it birth month now instead of birthday. For long it'll be birth every day. I don't know. But, but the idea is celebrate me. Celebrate me. And people are incensed sometimes if they don't, aren't celebrated enough. You understand, that's not kingdom. That's the wrong kingdom. See, the only two dates that matter in your life, the dates in which everything depends upon, is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ when He not only invaded earth, but He destroyed death and He destroyed sin. That is a fixed date. And the second date is found in this parable, and it is the return of our King. The day of His return is the other fixed date. And what goes on between those two dates is where you play a role. Now, the kingdom is explained, or the parable explains this, that everything is going to depend on your whole life, its worth, the justification of your efforts and your investment are all going to come down to when the king returns, he's going to ask this question, how did you serve in my absence? That's, that is a, see, you should not, even though a lot of people say this, live as if, as if you're going to die tomorrow. Truthfully, the Bible says, live as if you're going to live forever. Because your death is not the end, it's just a transition. Whether He returns while we're still alive, or He returns and we wait with Him, He is returning. And when He returns, He's going to ask you personally, what did you do with what I gave you? How did you serve in my absence? Well, one of the New Testament scholars by the name of Kuhlman, he said the way to understand this well is to see the relationship between D-Day and Victory in Europe Day, V-E Day. Now, Lisa and I 
We had this great privilege this summer. We spent a good deal of time in Normandy, and we went to the different museums, and we, we went to the beaches, and we went to the memorials. And one of the things that impressed me so much is the German commander said, if they are able to breach the Atlantic Wall, if they are able to invade, we have lost. The war is over. And, and what you clearly see is that when D-Day took place, it was just simply, a, after that, there were sacrifices, there were skirmishes, there were times of ebb and flow, there was, there was tremendous collateral damage. Over 100,000 French civilians died. There was, there was all kinds of stuff going on, but friends, there was a certainty that once D-Day happened, VE Day was going to happen. And the Germans themselves knew it. They knew they were defeated. And this theologian says, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is our D-Day. He has invaded this world. He has gone into death. He has taken sin with Him. And He has blown a door out the backside of death. And, and Satan himself is defeated. And the victory on Earth Day is as certain as D-Day. You understand, we live as those who have certainty that our King is returning. Now, that means that every one of your sacrifices matter. Every time you feel like you're being pushed back, it matters. But... In the grand scheme of things, you are pushing to Berlin and to the utter and complete defeat of the forces of evil. You have the winning side. And when you begin to realize that, and you, you know, when we were traveling in Normandy, particularly when I was at Omaha Beach, and Omaha Beach, the memorial is, is a graveyard, 10,000 soldiers, 10,000 who sacrificed their lives for the freedom and for the, for the world to be set free from the Nazi oppression. And as I walk those, through those graves and walk through it, you, you, it blows you away. It just, it just, you feel so humbled by the noble sacrifice of every one of these people. But it's so interesting as a Christian to look at it because it's a field of crosses and stars of David. In other words, even in their death, we are saying there's something bigger here. There's something more. They're not, just, they're not just in the ground no more to have anything else beyond this. There's a cross over their grave. There's a star of David over their grave. There's something beyond death. You see, if there's nothing beyond this, then the sacrifices are meaningless. And yet when you go into the chapel there at Omaha and you see the Scriptures that are written there and you see the honor that is given there, it breaks you in two because in order for there to be victory in Europe Day, there had to be sacrifice. There had to be some who laid down everything for freedom. I can't tell you what it felt like at the end of the day we stayed till they played taps and then they lowered our flag. And, you know, you just want, you're like, I don't know if I'm going to make it to the bus now. <laughs> because it's just so powerful when you realize what a cost to get from the beach at D-Day to the victory in Berlin. 
And what you are a part of is that victory march. That D-Day has already happened. Jesus, resurrected, has defeated sin and death. But he's asked you to do the mop-up action. He's asked you to endure. He's asked you to be more than conquerors in the midst of an unredeemed and unresurrected world. And you cannot do that if you're the complaining one. Are you hearing me? Every struggle you're in, every sacrifice you make is all a part of the bigger victory. And we can call it VE Day, Victory on Earth Day. You're really quiet. Is that because you're taking this in? Am I getting to you a little bit? All right. I could pound it a little more. (laughs) So let's move on to the three servants in this parable. Now, what the master gave, what the king gave, was one mina. One mina is a, a monetary unit worth eight months' wages. Okay, so I can make the math simple. Let's just say that, they, that eight months' wages is $50,000. So let's just use $50,000. So they have eight months' worth of wages. They had nothing, now they have $50,000. So the first one turns his $50,000 into $550,000. The second one gains $250,000 adds it to the 50, now has $300,000, and the last servant stays at 50000 All right, So, so here's, here's what happens to the one who brings the 10 minas, the multiplication of, now 10, adds 10 to this. The, the king says, on his return, says, well done. And then he gives them ten cities. The second one, who brings five minas, he gives that one five cities. Now, what I've seen over the, the course of you know, studying this for years and years is a lot of people don't get how out of proportion the rewards are. They say, well, see, he had ten, he got ten, he had five, he had five. Look, forget it. is a significant amount of money, yes. But 10 cities wealth? Think about it this way. He gets New York City, Boston, Newark, well, maybe. um, uh, You know, he gets Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, maybe Baltimore, poor guy, you know. I mean, you know, he gets the entire East Coast cities. Now he is managing the wealth of 10 cities. You understand, he only brought in 500,000. Now he has the wealth of the wealthiest cities. The guy with five probably gets Pittsburgh or uh, um, maybe some Ohio cities. I don't know. But even so, do you get the idea? The king is gracious. The reward is out of proportion to the risk. The reward is out of proportion to the sacrifice. These guys were nothing. Now they are kings. They have wealth beyond measure. This is the nature of the king. 
But what most people do is they, they think of it as a negotiation. Friend, grace is never a negotiation. He will always reward more than you can give. Think about it right now. Again, it's a power. It's not just a concept. And when you sow into the power, what you receive is far more than anybody could possibly guarantee for you. If you're in financial difficulty, don't hoard it. Invest it. If you've got a talent, don't say, oh, I don't have a talent. You know, Start using your talent. Risk. Risk. Don't keep it hidden like the one that we have. So here's servant number three. He comes up thinking he is really, he is the guy. He has kept the law. He has done better than these other guys. But what does he do? He's, I don't know if they had pockets in their robes or how they carried stuff. Maybe they had a fanny pack first century. I don't know. But he comes up to the king and pulls out a filthy handkerchief. Because the handkerchief has been buried in the ground for the entire time that the king has been gone. So he pulls out the filthy handkerchief, gives the filthy handkerchief to the king. Can you see the inappropriateness of this? And he says, look, I saved it for you. It's amazing the king didn't you know, do something right then and there. But he lets the guy justify his actions. So the guy says, I knew you were severe. I knew you were a hard man. You reap what you don't sow. You take what you haven't deposited. He insults, he offends the king. And so the king says, okay, I will treat you according to your perspective of me. What you believe about me is what you will receive. You understand, it has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with the view that this man has of his king. Now here's the thing. I've been in the church, I'm almost, I'll be 60 this year, so I, I went to church a week or two after I was born. So I've been in the church my whole life. I have never been in a church that didn't have this servant. Oh, God is so hard on us. Oh, it's so impossible to please God. Oh, life is so unfair. Life is so hard. Nothing ever goes my way. Prayer doesn't work for me. It may work for you. It doesn't work for me. Funny thing is some of those people can be elders. I've even seen them pastors, truthfully, who are those who are guarding the one mina they have in their dirty handkerchief. Do you understand? That is not the language of the kingdom. That is not the language of a servant who actually knows his master. That's really the issue here, friends. This servant doesn't know his master. So the master treats him according to what this servant believes about his master. Is that getting through to you? In other words, you're going to get the life you believe you deserve from the master that you're deluded about. And if I were your enemy, what I would do is I would make sure that you believed every lie I could tell you about your master. And by the way, the enemy is called the deceiver, the accuser, the tempter, and until you start saying, you shut up, you liar. You will, not, you will not pollute my view of my master. Because once you really know Jesus and his power and his presence, 
then that duty that He asks of you, that sacrifice that He calls you to, it becomes your delight. See, this third servant is actually equal to the older brother. Same man. Remember what the older brother said? You never gave me a party. You never killed a calf for me. You never gave me a robe. You never gave me a ring. You're a hard man. You're a severe man. And all I've ever done is work for you. Hmm. If you think he's a hard man, he will seem like a hard man to you. But if you start to really know Jesus, then serving him becomes the greatest joy and freedom and grace. And you can only know that sometimes from people who have done it. Well, I'm going to show you that I'm very in touch with my feminine side this morning. <laughs> one, of the, one of the great periods of, of my life was when my, my daughter was in high school and, and college. And we got to spend lots of time. She loved watching movies with me. She loved watching shows with me. And so we... We had our shows that we watched together. Now, I want you to understand something. Until she came along, I didn't even know who Jane Austen really was other than, you know, required reading or whatever. But once my daughter really got me engaged with Jane Austen, I realized this woman is an amazing writer, such an observer of human nature and relationships. And my favorite of all time is Pride and Prejudice. Now, what I'm about to say may lose some of you, but stay with me. For me, there's only the 1996 BBC version of Pride and Prejudice. And the only Mr. Darcy I'll ever accept is Colin Firth. And the only Elizabeth is a Jennifer Ely who's here in New York and all that kind of stuff. Okay, just so those of you who don't understand, those of you who do, you know what I'm talking about. All right, so Mr. Darcy is this incredibly rich aristocrat. He has a yearly income. He has beautiful estate. And Elizabeth is beautiful and witty, but she has no money whatsoever and no prospects, no future. And somehow he falls in love with her, makes a, 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 you know, a, a marriage proposal to her that is so inappropriate and rude and lacking any grace whatsoever. And she, with no grace back, flatly refuses him and just destroys him. Well, you think it's kind of over, except that she goes on this tour of the countryside with her aunt and uncle, and somehow, serendipitously, they end up at Mr. Darcy's estate, which in the movie, you look at it and go, I could live there. <laughs> it's so beautiful. It's gorgeous. And, and she's touring it, and all of a sudden, she comes upon this miniature portrait of Mr. Darcy. And the housekeeper who's giving the tour of the estate says, oh, do you know my master? And she goes, yes, I, I know him. Oh, I've known him since he was born. He is the finest man. He is the grandest landlord. And he is the greatest master. And Jane Austen writes, suddenly, Elizabeth started feeling amiable towards Mr. Dorsey. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? She had a wrong view of him. But when one who really knew him said, oh, he's the grandest Lord. He's the greatest master. She began to feel amiable towards him. I'm going to tell you the truth. I've served him since I was a child. There is no greater master. There is no grander Lord. 
listen to me as we close. Peter at one point said, Lord, we've lost everything. We've given up everything for you. What are we going to get back? And the Lord looked at him and said, anyone who loses anything in this life, I will return to them in this life and in the life to come 30 times more, 60 times more, even 100 times more. Do you understand? That's what this parable is about. They brought him five minas. He gave them five cities. They brought him 10 minas. He gave them 10 cities. Do you understand? That's 100 times more. Because he's gracious. He's amiable. Will you stand with me? Now, you may think this strange. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. You may think this strange, but I see the Master moving right in front of you right now. And the question that he's asking, I mean, I can see his lips moving, speaking into your ear. What will you do with what I've given you? How will you serve me in my absence? I'm guaranteeing you, friend, because of D-Day, V-E Day is secure. Because he has landed, because he has invaded, victory is certain. But what will you do until he returns? Here's what I'd like to ask. I'd like to ask you out loud to make a declaration. I, I don't know if you noticed this today. This is not a message for unbelievers. You can't do this without the power. You can't do this without the seed that's imperishable having been planted in you and without faith to make it grow. You can't do this without being born again. The old you has no capacity for the master of Jesus. The new you was made to hear his voice. I, my sheep hear my voice. I call them by name, he says, and they follow me. He's standing right before you. And he's asking, will you declare for me? Will you realize that your birthday and your death are not the most important dates in your life? Will you live as one who will live forever? Would you make a declaration? I'll give you the words that he gave to me. Would you make it with me? Lord Jesus Christ, I declare that I belong to you. All that I am, all that I have, I receive the call to lifetime commitment, faithful, humble service to my Master. I know we have to go, but he's here. Some of you, you understand what I'm saying today. I hope all of you understand it. But some of you realize this is no coincidence you're here today. You're in a season of darkness. You're in a season of valley. You're in a season where you don't know when it's going to break. And the Lord is speaking to you. See, this is right before he entered into Jerusalem. He knew there were false expectations. He knew there were timelines that were screwed up. But he said, how will you serve me in my absence? And he's so gracious, friends.
You know, right before the greatest victories, the enemy threw everything he had at the troops. But it was always a symbol that the fight was lost because there was nothing left once the victory was won. I believe the enemy is throwing everything he can at you right now. But that's a symbol. Stay in the fight. Hold on. The victory is just on the other side. Glory is on the other side. No sacrifice too great. No sacrifice too long. He gave up his power to gain power for you. He gave up his life to give his life to you. We seal what you're doing this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. See you next week.